The first rule of Fight Club Minute is we do talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club Minute is we do talk about Fight Club. The third rule of Fight Club Minute, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the minute is over. Fourth rule, only one guest to a minute. Fifth rule, one minute at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirt, no shoes. Seventh rule, minutes will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first time listening to Fight Club Minute, enjoy the show. I am Jack's 28th minute, and I start with the police saying the pilot light went out, and I end with the phone ringing. I'm your host, Bubba Wheat. Joining me should be my la- my co-host, Lance Stanford. I can hear you breathing. You si- Oh, I-, I think he just hung up on us. Uh, and uh, if you asked me why, I couldn't tell you why I called our guest, Nick Rehack. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, hopefully... We will get our my co-host Lance back here, but uh, you know, honestly, he had some car trouble, so uh, he will be joining us as soon as he gets that sorted out. Good. So, um, you know, b- before we jump into today's minutes, I did want to ask you, you know, what is your history with this movie? My history is, I would say, your typical white male kind of history i found <laughs> it either is either senior high school or early college uh when you find films like this pulp fiction uh sometimes culty films like that like holy mountain etc cetera, etc cetera. uh but it was somewhere around high school college i found this movie immediately fell in love with it um i really liked like it got me off on a Brad Pitt journey to see like what he's about acting wise, uh, got me into David Fincher. So without fight club, I don't get to David Fincher, I guess, as soon as I do. Um, and I actually got a chance to see it in theaters the day before my birthday in 2011, a local theater was doing like a revival type thing. So I got to see it on the big screen and that was a lot of fun. But, oh, nice. I, you know, I don't really think of fight club as being one of the big movies that gets a lot of, theater revivals it, it me neither but when i saw it i'm like i'm not going to say no to this opportunity <laughs> and of course yeah. goofing around with friends what are you doing this weekend no, i can't tell you <laughs> of course <laughs> but yeah i was just uh just an angry little white kid growing up and seeing a movie <laughs> like this tapping into to like those primal instincts i was like yeah i could do that i could never do that <laughs> as as fun as it would be to explore like you know your primal and base instincts and just you know beat somebody else to like a pulp i i'd rather like hang out and watch a movie you know <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's more like you know either you know a 50 50 shot depending on who you're going up against to either beat somebody to a pulp or get beaten up to a pulp. <laughs> That's true. I should rephrase. Be, it's similar to <laughs> stature and size as me to a pulp, not just a random. <laughs> Here's some 10-year-old kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you need to stop hanging out at this middle school. <laughs> I can't. I'm insecure about who I am. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, but before jumping into this minute, I did want to jump back a little bit uh, because, you know, I <laughs> I am a huge procrastinator. 
mm-hmm. and I still have not gone through and watched this movie all the way through again and uh, not with the commentary either mm-hmm. but I did before this session I did jump on and uh, check out this section of the commentary and there was a a a fun little tidbit that's um that we had just passed that's that I have to mention okay. and it's uh you know this in in this minute uh Edward Norton's at the payphone just outside of his apartment complex with all this stuff all over the ground mm-hmm. and he was saying that right before they shot this scene like he was trying to like mentally prepare for it and in this apartment complex there is a fountain and it's like at floor level but it was turned off and so he accidentally stepped into the fountain and so suddenly he was calf deep in water but luckily for the shots you know they only filmed filmed him waist up so you couldn't see that his trouser legs and shoes were soaking wet because he just stepped into a fountain and after he he said that david fincher jumped in and said that that during that day about five or six other people did the same thing every once in a while (laughs) you would hear a splash followed by someone going oh crap and they're like oh there's somebody else stepped into the fountain it's the old wet trouser club where would this fountain be that's the is it just outside of the hotel or just on the inside like i imagine it would be outside like and if if it was working, you would see, you know, the spray, but and you would hear it. And I guess that's what throws me because I'm like, why? Well, you wouldn't you just hear the fountain? And it's like, well, if it's not running, then obviously you, <laughs> you wouldn't hear anything. <laughs> and you know, again, jumping into this shot, you you know, we get um, Edward Norton talking about this, you know, going through the kind of mental recreation of this uh, apartment explosion and this recreation like this apartment this these shots they are completely done in cg and it's you know it it was kind of a a relatively new technique um there there was a you know there's a whole uh you know a very brief behind the scenes a feature on the the dvd that talks about how they did this and, and they mentioned that they had like they spent four days photographing the uh, the apartment they used in the you know the real shots and mm. at the beginning of the movie in order to get all these close-ups of these textures that they could then transfer to the computer to use for these cg models you know what i've always wondered so you said they spent four days on set just mm. photographing it is that like an eight-hour day? Is it a nine-to-five? <laughs> is it four ten-hour shifts to make a full work week? Like that's what's always curious to me when they talk about days on a film set. Like, yeah, oh yeah, we work twenty days, sure, but five, you know what I mean? Little bursts, big bursts. Like I, I feel like well, if I, I, had I always to go... get the impression that that most film uh, film hours is like long days. You know, that you hear a lot of like twelve and sixteen-hour days. And it's a Fincher film, so mm. it was probably like, can we fit more hours in this day? <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't imagine going and photographing something for like nine hours straight. Like that would be. Whew, yeah, and they be. also, and because a lot of the the textures, like the stove and the the tea kettle, they're reflective, mm-hmm. so they did use ray tracing 
um, in order to get the um, get everything correctly. And they didn't mention it for this scene, but they did mention it for the um, the trash scene, like at the very beginning with the camera going through the trash can mm -hmm. that to render each frame of that took like a good eight or nine hours. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and they were saying that, you know, Fincher was wanting to tweak something and they were like, are you sure you want to tweak it? <laughs> because just doing one little tweak, that is three weeks of render time you're looking at right there. Wow, three whole weeks. And that's uninterrupted power. And that's yeah. your system not going down. Wow. Mm -hmm. mm. I, I mean... Always looked good though. Like I always really, th I always thought that CGIC was cool. I always thought this scene was cool too, and and it still kind of holds up. I was watching my Blu-ray copy in preparation for the show, and it it holds up for the most part. It's a lot better looking than other CGI of that era. Yeah, you can tell that it has kind of a a fake look to it. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. look completely real, but it does have you know a lot of that that photo the the photographic texture to it. There's mm -hmm. just like something about it where it's it just doesn't look quite right. It's not quite the uncanny valley and it does go by so quickly that unless you're looking at it really closely, you're not really going to notice it. And I, and I do think that it holds up, especially because, you know, they go through the lengths to make it look dirty and, uh, you know, they get the the little rust stains in um, on part of the stove and uh, an another big thing that David Fincher wanted to make sure to have is we have this uh, chrome tea kettle, this, you know, highly mm -hmm. reflective. And if this was done with a real camera, you would have the reflection of the camera in that tea kettle. But doing it all CG, then you don't get that reflection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the nice thing is, too, with it having that like photo S look, it's almost like you're diving into like a catalog you're diving you're like living now in that ikea world where everything's you know easily assembled yeah i never thought about that with the tea kettle thing as kind of a flex in a weird way right that's that's exactly what it was it's it's like you know we can do this so i i want to do this so it, there is no reflection if they redid this shot nowadays it would have to be like a stainless steel like curie or some kind <laughs> you of know thing. I, I almost I, I almost feel like if they did this today like if if this was a CG animated, they would actually put in a reflection of the camera. Mm. Like even though it's, it's yeah, even though it's done in CG, they would add the reflection of the camera to make it look like they had actually shot it on location. It's like we've come that far around. I feel mm -hmm. like that's the direction that they would actually go. It's actually cheaper to put a camera in it and design the whole thing on a computer <laughs> than it is to actually film it. So like, really? <laughs> you sure? Yeah, I mean, that that's why all these effects houses are going under, because they don't pay them enough. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, well, you, if we get this description about how they, they say the pilot light could have gone out, and clearly this, you can see that this is a gas stove and not an electric stove. And it's uh, filled the apartments, seventeen hundred square foot apartments, which that's that's a pretty good size apartment for like one for one bedroom. At least I imagine it's a one bedroom. Maybe it's a two bedroom, and then his spare bedroom is where his hover track is. 
Mm, could be. Could be. And it says that it's it filled with gas for days and days. And I, I think that again just really shows you how how much he Jack travels for his job, that he is gone for days at a time. Not only that, but just kind of how alone he is and how he truly mm-hmm. has no one. There's no neighbors checking in and saying like, oh, sorry, I, heard, I smelled something weird and went to your apartment. I did that. No family member, no pets, nothing like that. It's just alone. And it, yeah, it, it's it, just it, him and his stuff. Yeah, yeah. It really doubles down to it. And they touch on it. I mean, the whole thing is really both a visual metaphor for it as well as the actual presentation, because he talks about like in the scene before he, he doesn't have anybody to call. You know what I mean? He, so he calls on Marla whose number just so happens to find, or instead he calls on a uh, Tyler. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, the, the first person he calls is Marla, which, you know, he founds the, the number on the, on the ground with the, you know, half burnt piece of paper. And it, it does feel like that would be kind of his first instinct and mm-hmm. but he immediately regrets it as, as soon as she answers and and also it's just so great that the timing of this that then in his mental recreation the as soon as marla says yeah that's what triggers the explosion oh interesting i never noticed that before yeah <laughs> huh okay all right, I like it. I like it. And I and I feel like that just the way that she answers the phone with her just saying, you know, she doesn't say hello, she doesn't say hi. She says, "Yeah." I I feel like that in a way just reminds Jack of how she gets under his skin and like how much mm. it's like, "Oh yeah, why why am I calling this person? I don't like her." That makes an awful lot of sense because really all of their interactions have been borderline flirty, but mostly negative. Whereas mm-hmm. the conversation he has with Tyler, he's just like upbeat and even says he's the most interesting, uh, what is it, single serving? Single serving friend. Yeah, single serving friend. So of course he's going to go for the interesting one. But yeah. the whole linking up, yeah, and the explosion in the kitchen, I never put the two together. That's really, really cool. Yeah, and I, one other thing, like I'm I'm looking at the explosion. I I do love how, it starts like they they show the spark from the compressor on the the back of the refrigerator and then the flame starts as a blue you know a nice blue gas flame mm-hmm. and then it transitions into the the bright yellow as it it goes out and then it it really cuts we only see like a little bit of a damage and and i do think especially like watching it in slow motion that's like the the cracking glass on the oven that's very cg looking but it's we only get like just a few frames of the explosion before it cuts back to edward norton on the phone and then him you know the the explosion in his mind caused him to hang up the phone too it's like that's this this phone call is an explosion waiting to happen it's a weird wake-up call of sorts i think what helps the cg in this is that it's for little bursts at a time and yeah. it's not like it's something that stays on screen the entire time or there's not a reason for it to be there. It's just like nice. And like, here we go, a little glimpse into a break in the action, because I'm sure if you wanted to watch just a straight minute of someone standing on the phone, no one picking up or picking up and then immediately hanging up, no real conversation happening. Uh, I, I think you would lose interest 
but enough these little bursts they keep you going and then finally that explosion uh which i agree with you too the way the colors are and the spark and everything again i think it's really cool because any other film it would have just been they're talking talking and then immediately gets cut off and there's just an explosion or a white flash or something like super stylized mm. and yeah it's i do like that you mentioned that's that they do break it up because this is like that is about um you know just 25 seconds of screen time from the the first cg shot of this this fake apartment and the end of the explosion and in that 25 seconds there is it's cut into four shots mm-hmm. and each of those four shots are interspersed with edward norton at the payphone and so you know 25 seconds of a scene and you're only getting about 10 10 like maybe 12 seconds of actual cgi footage mm-hmm. And so that's, I think that also helps with the unreality of it, with it just kind of jumping in and jumping out the the way it does that. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, and then, of course, you know, he hangs up on um, Marla and he, I like this, you know, just really brief moment of him trying to figure out what he's going to do next. And it seems like he's just kind of unconsciously reaching into his pocket and he finds this, the, 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 uh, Tyler Durden's business card. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at it and he's, he's like confused, you know, he's like, almost like, where did this come from? And <laughs> just, or it's, it's even like whenever he feels it in his pocket, he's like, what is this? And, and then he pulls it out and then realizes what it is and, gets this moment of thoughtfulness and you know not even like it's it's almost immediate he sees the card and then he almost immediately just decides to to call it but i did want to take a moment to talk about this business card because it is it's a great little prop i i just you know it's it's only on screen for a second but it is a beautiful little business card um oh i I can't think of his name. The um, American Psycho. Oh, uh, Patrick uh, Norman uh, Patrick. Wait, Patrick Bateman. Yeah, Patrick Bateman Bate- would be proud. Be just sitting there. That's bone. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's you know, just so much about this this card is fictional. Mm-hmm. Whenever you really stop to look at it, because. Even from the title, Paper Street Soap Company, have you, did you know that that there isn't actually any streets named Paper Street? At least not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, Paper Street is actually a code. It's something that map makers tend to use a lot. And that is like a placeholder name for a road that is not built yet, but is in the planning stages. And so on the map, it'll be Paper Street. What? <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah, I I, no, I never knew that either. What? No. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I then, just, I mean, I like the name too, Paper Street Soap. Like it just it rolls off the tongue. It sounds nice. Yeah, and of course, you know Tyler Durden's name is is fake because at least. 
you know, I at least it feels like it would have to be fake because there's almost no other way to wrap your head around the Edward Norton's character not recognizing his own name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's I, that's gotta feel weird. Or even like look at the design and that doesn't jog anything either. You know, like that doesn't. Yeah. And then of course the. The novel Fight Club is set in Wilmington, Delaware, which is a real place. But this, the the 537 Paper Street, Bradford, Bradford is a fictional town. I was going to say it didn't. Yeah, but 19808 is actually in Del- Delaware. It's uh, it's actually Newcastle, which is right near Wilmington, where the uh, novel is set. Okay, I didn't know that it took place in Wilmington. Yeah, that's kind of cool, because I would I, just assume like anybody else, New York City or L.A. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I always thought it was um, set in like I knew that Bradford was fictional, but I thought it was set in California because I, I imagine that's where they filmed most of it. Like I, I never really got a uh, Delaware vibe from where they were from none of that. Yeah, well, maybe lose tavern if you're kind of. Oh gosh, more on like the South Bridge or like uh Edgemore area of of Delaware like in Wilmington maybe, but deep deep cut for anybody from Wilmington <laughs> listening. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, going back to the business card, even the phone number, the 288-555-0835, the, you know, 555 is obviously the the standard fictional um phone number that most people use or that most movies and tv shows use as a fake uh, number Mm -hmm. but even the area code the 288 that was and still is a an unused area code it's uh it's an area code reserved for future use huh everybody's just looking towards the future on this business card man (laughs) Yeah, so everything, really everything about this card is fake. Huh. And then I also have to spend a little bit of time talking about the picture uh, on the business card. It's It appears to be like two angels facing each other with, yeah, something uh, like it. with, I believe it looks like it's supposed to be a fountain in between them. That's what I would assume, fountain. And it looks like they, I don't know if it's them, they have little tails. Yeah, there there's two like curly cues, which they don't coming off the curly curls. Yeah, the curly cues just look like they're stylistic, um, you know, just like a random design element. But the way that they're positioned, they almost look like they could be tails. Mm-hmm. And there's also a smaller little curly cue right above their head, which I think that could almost represent a horn. And even though that they they look like angels, I think with these these stylistic curls, it almost means that they could imply that they are potentially devils instead of angels. You were blowing my mind right now. Next, you're going to tell <laughs> me that it's the same devil looking at each other in a mirror and they're drinking from the fountain of youth by beating the hell out of each other in a parking lot and then a basement. You know, I I didn't think about it, but... Because I, there is like something in between them. They they are like looking at each other. They mm-hmm. are mirrored, so they're in the same pose, just mirrored. 
and there's something in between them. I I thought that it was supposed to look like a a, a stylized like um, fountain of water. That's what but, I assumed when I saw it. Yeah. But now that you say mirror, that could be that could represent like a mirror uh, looking at it on the side, which that's you know ties right into the dual personality of the narrator and Tyler Durden. Yeah, and how the uh, skewed view, if you will, uh, of it, we don't, you can't tell, you know, is are they angels, are they devils, are they, you know, what are they because of, well, not only just the distance and how long the business card is on there. I mean, I'm sitting on it, looking at it on pause right now. That's way I know <laughs> exactly yeah. all the little details and everything. But unless you're really taking the time to look at it, a skewed view like that, like you're not really going to notice or put together little details like that. You're just going to assume, oh, you know, it's just people hanging out at a wash bin yeah and the uh you know the last thing that i want to mention is i to me it it looks like the base looks kind of cracked to me that that could just that. be a shadow but i think it looks cracked so it's on that right side of, well on both sides it, it kind of goes in okay, like an yeah, upside down right. v-shape mm-hmm. i see it now yeah okay and i and and I think that's you know again ties to the crack in his personality, and how it's starting to appear. Mm-hmm. And then you know he then dials the number, and we just hear it. Well, we we do also get the close up of him putting the quarter into the the payphone. So this was nineteen ninety nine when payphones cost twenty five cents, which lucky them because. Anytime I caught it, it was like 35 cents. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I always wondered too? When they would change the fees for payphones, do they have to like go to every single payphone and like kind of program it? Yeah. Not program it, but I guess twist some dials or something because it's not like they could just push out an update wirelessly. Yeah, I, I would imagine. And I'm sure it's it's whatever whatever company would service the payphone that's mm-hmm. Uh, whenever they would go to collect the money, they would update the the price. Ooh, that's just crazy to me. All these yeah. little things you don't really think about anymore. Yeah, and and now it's like good luck finding a pay a working payphone. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Anytime and now it's just like a landline that you can maybe get lucky at a restaurant or something if you're in dire straits. Yeah, that's. I would imagine that payphones probably don't even don't you know i i would imagine that they got rid of the payphones because they don't make enough spare change to mm-hmm. cover the cost of actually having a line installed there yeah yeah anymore and uh you know i do also like the the detail that we can see him dialing the number and we can tell that he is dialing the number on that's listed on the card I for sure rewound that a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't see him dial the area code, but you can you can hear him press the five five five, and uh, all the numbers do match up. And 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 I love it whenever the movie takes the extra effort to show that accurately. Mm-hmm. And then you know we don't get the we just get the first couple rings, and and we don't find out what happens until next minute. So do you have anything else on this minute? No, no, we, we, we covered it for sure. 
All right. So, well, thank you so much for joining me. And of course. You know, why don't you go ahead and take a moment to let everybody else know about uh, where they can find you and your other podcasts online. I, I know where you can find one of them for sure. <laughs> you can actually find two of them roughly in that same spot. If you head over to rabbitholepodcasts.com, uh, I am a co-host with Bubba Wheat here for Lyrical Innuendo. It's a fantastic podcast that I'm a part of. We get to essentially hang out, listen to music, and then have discussions on if it's about sex, drugs, or just good old-fashioned rock and roll. Uh, a lot of times it's about sex, but every so <laughs> often you get a song about Dune, and it's really, really exciting. <laughs> Uh, the other one is a newer project. Uh, it's called Play MST for Me, uh, which is like a fun little uh, play on Play Misty for me. Uh, Jason Soto over at Rab Rabbit Hole Podcast. Uh, he invited me on to start a new show. I have never seen a single episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I don't know how. It just never happened. Uh, and he found this out. And now we are going to watch every single episode <laughs> of Mystery Science Theater 3000 in chronological order. Uh, I have a couple under my belt so far. It's been fun yet frustrating, but I think ultimately <laughs> uh, it's going to be intensely rewarding. So go check out that journey. Play MST for me over on rabbitholepodcast.com. And again, Lyrical Innuendo. Both of them are on Spotify. And the fun thing about Lyrical Innuendo being on Spotify is we'll play the song before we have our discussion about it, which is really, really nice. You don't have to pause go find the song and then come back to it. It's just boom, right there and ready to go. Yeah. And, and if you're not on Spotify, we do also upload the, the episodes without the song included on all the other podcasting platforms. Um, but yeah, and uh, this show it's uh fight club minutes is also uh, on a part of the rabbit hole podcast network. And uh, uh, you can find all these shows and a, a whole lot more at rabbitholepodcasts.com. We are also still doing a uh, a contest. Um, well, technically, we are recording these way ahead of time, but uh, so it's we should still be doing it. Well, yeah, I guess we should be still doing this because I don't think that we'll hit our higher goal but uh, if we did you know yay us but if uh primarily if you are listening on apple podcasts or if you're listening on any other podcasting platform that allows written reviews if you give us a full written review and rate us five stars you can take a screenshot of that and send it to our email fightclubminutes at gmail.com and if we hit 25 reviews, we will send somebody a free copy of uh, the graphic novel Fight Club 2. And if we manage to get up to 50 reviews, we will send somebody a copy of Fight Club 3. And um, hopefully Lance will be here uh, later this week, but we will see. And so until next time, this is Fight Club Minute, and this podcast is ending one minute at a time. Hey, let me interrupt the current podcast you're listening to so we can tell you about Musically Ignorant, hosted by me, Jason, and my pal, Lackey. Hi, I'm Lackey. We discuss all kinds of music from mainstream pop acts like Ben Folds and R.E.M., and very obscure acts like Cabaret Voltaire and Black Moth Super Rainbow. 
I think you just made those names up. I most certainly did not. Well, I guess that's why we named the show Musically Ignorant. Indeed, you rapscallion! Now, before Lackey turns too much into a 19th century professor, you should check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, or our home website, rabbitholepodcast.com. Jason, have you ever heard of this Lizzo person that's trending on Twitter? Oh, man, I got my work cut out for me.